Thank you for being here. So good to see you. So good to see a full room. And a great big hats off and thank you to our ushers who do a great job uh, getting you guys seated in here. Um, if you come a little bit later, you might not say thank you to them because they might bring you all the way up here. For some reason, this front row stays open all the time. I just uh, do it. Do I spit when I talk? I, I don't know. Um, but it's the best seats in the house. Ah, there are no bad seats in the house, right? And so just look to the person on your left and say, you are amazing. Look back at the person on your right and say, I know. <laughs> oh, it's so good to be together in God's house. Today we're coming out of the book of... <laughs> you guys said that with such enthusiasm. Thank you. Uh, Genesis chapter 13. And uh, we're talking about by faith, not by sight. By faith, not by sight. I want to tell you a, a brief story that doesn't really have anything to do with the text today other than the fact it kind of demonstrates how the text is written. Um, but uh, many years ago, I was sitting in my car at a gas station and uh, a, a woman uh, abruptly and rudely told me to move my car. That's the story. Who wants more details? You're like, okay, I want more details. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use some parenthetical inserts to bring you along in the story. And uh, how many of you know good storytellers? The people in your house are good storytellers. How many of you know somebody who you ask them what time it is and they tell you how to build a watch? Anybody? All right, so there's that sweet spot of telling a story, right? There's the, there, there's the give me the details so I can track along with you. And then there's so many details, sometimes you're like, okay, I know where you're going with this, just, just move on. And so one thing that is encouraging about Scripture text is there is none of that snoozer stuff there. That everything that's written in the text is there on purpose for a reason. And we're going to see that today. Some of it might be, yeah, I kind of know that already. Um, but we'll see in the text today. But let me back to my story. Uh, it was uh, one early morning. I was on the way to the church. And I stopped at a gas station. Uh, it was a beautiful morning. And uh, the sun was shining. And I, I pumped the gas in my car. And I was at the gas station that was once known as the Liberty Gas Station, which is now called Rushco. It's right across, diagonally across from where they're building the new police station. You guys know where, I, where I'm talking about, so you see where I am, and you know kind of where I am. And so I'm, I'm at the, when you pull into the gas station uh, from Brawley, uh, and you go to the left, the very first pump there that's on the left, the very first pump there is kind of on a hill. I pumped gas into my car and um, got back into my car. And while I was out pumping gas, I was thinking about things that I needed to take care of when I got to the church. And so I thought... I know me, and if I don't write that down, I'm going to forget. So I got back in the car, sat down, and instead of on my phone, I literally picked up a piece of paper and had a pen, and I was writing on this piece of paper and pen when this large pounding came on side of my car. It scared me. I mean, I didn't know anybody was there. You know, in today's society, you're supposed to know your surroundings. I failed. Okay. To, to my defense, she had pulled up on the hill behind me, and she was out of sight of my mirrors. All I know is, is I was looking down writing, and, this large, and I look, and she goes, Are you finished? I mean, the angriest face. I mean, it outdoes any angry emoji you could ever put up. It was like five angry emoji faces in a row. I mean, it was, it was bad. And, and, and so she goes, Are you done? And I said, Yes. She said, Then move! And... Human nature, 
Okay, so I'm going to tell you what happened. So um, I looked across the gas pumps that are at the gas station, which were empty, and I turned to say, what about all of those pumps? And she had already left my window and was sitting in her car and was pulling up tighter against me. I'm looking in my right mirror going, oh my goodness. It got so funny to me that I couldn't be angry anymore. I thought, I'm on camera. I'm being punked right now and somebody's, it's one of those things where how would you respond if and everything and I'm thinking, I'm gonna respond positively, pull it in drive and drive off. And as I was driving to church, I was laughing my head off. I thought, poor lady, she was having a bad day. Perhaps maybe her car wouldn't go in reverse and she mistakenly pulled up behind me and she needed me to move so she could pull in. I, I, I don't know what was going on that. So anyway, I could go on and tell you more about that story. Uh, uh, it was just one of those days, one of those things um, that happens. And you, you think to yourself, uh, well, that's kind of, people are just angry today. No, this was like 15 years ago. And uh, if, if that was you, I forgive you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I do forgive you, but I mean, that's all in joke and fun and jest. Uh, everybody has bad days, right? And so we have those kind of things. But see what I did is I filled in the gaps there to tell you some of the details that you could track along with me, you could identify with it. Maybe some of you have been in those types of situations before. And when we read the text today, we're gonna to be able to track along with it and see what's going on. But there are some things that are kind of nuances in the text that the original Hebrew readers would have caught that I hadn't caught the first time through when I read this text uh, early on. And so as I went back and studied it, I thought, I never knew that was there for that reason and, and what that was about. So we're going to look at Genesis uh, chapter 13, and we're going to start at verse 5. Let me just kind of give you kind of a thought process on how we're stepping into this at verse 5. Last week we talked about that Abram and Lot and his family were in the land that God had brought them to and they started experiencing a famine in the land and so Abram decided to go down to Egypt to find resources for his family and his livestock and, and, and everything that he was caring for and uh, while he was there he made a terrible mistake and lied about who his wife was. Uh, that ended poorly, his testimony was hurt, he comes back to the land and uh, he, he kind of asks forgiveness, seeks forgiveness uh, for what he had done. And then we join this in verse 5 and it says this, and Lot who went with Abram also had flocks and herds and tents so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. 
The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length of the, and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. It is my prayer that, and my hope and my trust that God's word will meet us right where we are and that the spirit of the Lord will speak to us individually. See, I don't have to come up with some great thought about the text for the spirit to meet us where we are in our walk with him. I can trust in God's word that the text is going to speak to each of us individually today. Here's what I wanna do for several reasons. I'm gonna read back through the text. Uh, one is because the first time I read through it, I wanted us to have the whole narrative so we could follow the storyline. The second reason I want to kind of read back through it a second time is so we can stop at moments and, and, and listen to it. But another reason I want you to hear it for a second time is because I want it to impact yours and my week as we make decisions this week in our lives. And I think it can do that as we open our eyes to what it has to say. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 13, verse 5. It says, And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. Well, when you read this account, you understand the difficulty there was between the flocks and the herd because they're all eating the same grass out of the same pasture. So you can see that that's an issue. So why put the word tent there? It wasn't a square footage issue. You will see later that the tent is put in there in the text, and they talk about the tents. That's the establishment of where your heart is. That's the establishment of your home. That's where they live. So that's why he's mentioning that he had tents as well. This was where he was. I envision that when they had moved into this land that God had shown them, that Lot and his clan and all of his herdsmen and herds and cattle and and, and cats and chickens and whatever they had um, were there together, kind of huddled up in one little place, just kind of in the land there together, all sitting on top of one another. And they had their tents kind of put up toward uh, one another and close to one another. Let's look at verse 6. It says, So that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife. One might say that the overarching kind of storyline, the overarching tension, tension in this particular narrative is strife. So we see that there is strife among them because they were having trouble together. The, the definition of the word strife is bitter, sometimes violent conflict and dissension. An act of contention, a fight or struggle. But this is the definition of the word that I want us to lean into. Exertion or contention for superiority. Kind of for us, it would be my way's right. 
Do you know that when you put your foot down and you kind of draw the line in the sand and you say, this is it, my way's right, that's a, that's a jockeying for superiority over the other person and you're saying, my way's right. And do you realize automatically that can create strife? And the way that I see this strife that was going on back then was probably the, the cows uh, you know, of Abram were here and the cows of, of Lot were here and they were trying to share the grass and every once in a while this cow would wander over into Abram's section of grass and uh, the herdsman would go, could you get your cow out of here? It's eating up the grass of the cows I'm supposed to be watching. Can you please move them? I'm, I'm drawing a line in the dirt. Don't let your cows cross that line. How many of you uh, drew a line in the back seat of your car with your siblings? You know what I'm talking about, right? Because that strife was already there. I had a younger sister. We drew that line often. I always teased her because she would draw the line, or my dad would say, there's a line, don't cross it. And I'm thinking, is that line just on the seat and I can't cross that, or is it a plane that goes all the way up? You know, it's just, that's just being a boy, I guess, and being a... Uh, rough big brother to my younger sister. Sorry, Carol, I love you. But anyway, um, the strife can come about. And here's the interesting thing that we, that we find, that strife can be small or it can be big. It didn't have a, uh, in the definition, it doesn't have a, a, a strife is actually felt when it gets to this size of difficulty. Anytime you and I don't see eye to eye on something, it can cause strife. It just can. And what we need to do as believers is make sure that the things that we don't see eye to eye on are creating strife among us. And Abram was smart enough to see that strife was creating problems in the family, problems in the surrounding area around them, and decided to do something about it. The Bible speaks about being unified as believers, and so did Jesus. First, Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. That's what we're supposed to be doing as believers in Christ is dwelling in unity. We don't see eye to eye on everything. We don't come to the table with saying, I agree with you wholeheartedly. We look at life differently based on our circumstances. But when it comes to the end of the day, we should be in unity over what we're doing let me tell you one thing that will unify. If we focus our heart and energy 100% on the gospel, that's a unifying effect. Why do I know that? John 17, starting at verse 20, says, and this is Jesus speaking, and he's talking about those who are following him. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So our unity, our lack of strife, demonstrates to the world that Christ came and made a difference in our lives. Right? I'm sitting at a gas pump, someone beats on my window and says, move my car. That's what I expect from the culture today. What the culture does not expect in return is me saying, I'm really sorry, I didn't realize that I was in your way, I'll move now. That's swallowing my pride. I already had my gas, I didn't need to sit there any longer, I just didn't realize she was there. I was not purposefully saying, I'm gonna see whose day I can ruin. 
That's not how I wake up in the morning. And we tend to immediately knee-jerk react when somebody like throws something, uh, some garbage in our direction. We tend to pick the garbage up and throw it back at them. And we as believers should actually be standing there going, yeah, I'm going to sweep that up for you. I don't, you know, keep throwing garbage, keep throwing. That's the turning the other cheek principle. That's the loving because we were first loved. That's giving to others because God first gave to us. It's unexpected. And what Abram was seeing is that it was causing strife. Let's look at verse 7. It says, And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Listen to this. This is the testimony part. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. What's that mean? Well, it means several things. But the first thing it means is they were watching Abram and his family. It's not like they were, you know, so far away they didn't pick up on that there was, you know, kind of fighting between them. Get your cow out of my way. But they were seeing it. This is the second thing that it means is that the reason that the land would not support them is because people already were living there. He said, God said to Abram, if you will follow me, I'll show you the land to where I will take you. He didn't say, I'm going to take you to an empty land that's sitting there waiting on you and there's nobody already there. He's saying, I'm going to show you the land that I'm going to give you. These people were already living there and probably had already chosen the best plots of land for their cattle. So Abram and Lot were stepping into a land that was already used and was probably getting second best of the land already. That's one reason, because that always, always kind of bothered me. If this was the promised land, why would it not support them? Well, it's right there, because people were already living there. And he had not asked Abram to take the land yet. He said, I am showing you the land. Now, later he'll say, take the land. Verse 8, then Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. And if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw. That immediately takes us back to Genesis 3. This is a connection that we need to understand of why this is here. We'll kind of like flesh it out a little bit more. But remember in Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. That saw is the same word used there. It's the same implication. Lot looked up and saw what was good. Reminds me of 1 John 2, 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. You and I, in our walk with Christ today, need to make sure we have our eyes in the right place. That we're looking at the right things that God has called us to because the world is enticing. Let's just be honest with that. It is enticing. And some things that the Bible says we shouldn't partake in, we kind of in the back of our mind thinking, but why? It's enticing. It draws us. It pulls us in. I, I remember uh, when I was uh, probably in fifth or sixth grade, uh, my sister, who's about five years younger than me, um, and I went with my parents to the grocery store. 
And at the front of the grocery store, they don't do it anymore, but at the front of the grocery store, there was this big, long line of gumball machines. Do you know what a gumball machine is? Let's put a picture up of a gumball machine. That's a gumball machine. And what you would do is you would put a quarter in the gumball machine and you would turn the crank and a gumball would come out and if you were smart and had your hand underneath it and didn't let it bounce on the floor, um, you, could pick a, you could have, we think, a clean one, I don't know. Anyway, and you would like break your teeth trying to chew the thing. That's the quality of gum that came out of there, but it was always fun to do. But also beside the gumball machines were these little trinket machines. Uh, they're little machines that, that would have like a jewelry, you know, little toys, little knickknacks in it, you know. This was uh, probably along the lines of a smaller McDonald's type trinket that you would get out of there for a quarter. And uh, we were at the store, and my sister was begging my dad for a quarter. You know, can I have a quarter? Can I have a quarter? Can I have a quarter? And everything. And finally he said, yeah, sure. And he flips her a quarter, and she takes it, and she goes over to the machine. And she had her eyes on, if it was in the window of the gumball machine, she had her eyes on this ring, this real pretty ring that she wanted to get out of this gumball machine. And so she puts the quarter in, cranks it, the little thing comes out, and it's this egg thing, you know, that holds the little trinket. And she... <laughs> I'm sorry, my imagination just took me back there. She... <laughs> she opens it up, and it is a rubber emblem, a Chevrolet emblem. <laughs> she's opening this thing up and she's looking at it. She's got this. I don't know. I need to ask her if she still has that thing because it, it, it would be priceless now to me. Um, that at the, you know, because being the brother that I was, supportive of her and everything, you know, um, I, I'm sitting there, but my, my dad goes, what is it? And she looks at him and she goes, what you see ain't what you get. <laughs> and we, for for ever now, our family does that. If, if something happens, we thought one thing was going to happen, and we went one direction, and something else happened, that's our saying now. What you see ain't what you get. And uh, sometimes we, we rate restaurants that way. Um, you know, sometimes we rate Christmas presents that way. It's just a, kind of like what we do as a family. But I can't not think about this text, because when Lot looked up at the land, he got more than he bargained for. And he was looking with eyes that where his heart was not in following the promise of God. He looked with eyes saying, this is what I need. And who blames Lot, right? He had just come out of a famine. He had just gone down to Egypt. He saw all that they had. And now he's coming back and Abram is actually offering him, what do you want? So who really blames him? And we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes. But it says, and Lot lifted up his eyes and saw, what did he see? That the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Why those comparisons? Why did he put it in there? Well, first, the words garden of the Lord there is to show us just how green and plush the land was he was looking, where his eyes were. He was looking at that. And then like the land of Egypt shows us where his heart was. He had the memory of all the stuff they had in Egypt, and he looked up and he saw this green plush land with his eyes, and he said, that's what I want. It says, and then he went in the direction of Zoar. Zoar, we'll find out later, is the actual city that his family fleed to when Sodom and Gomorrah was being destroyed. 
So the reader, the Hebrew reader is reading this and they know this and they say he's already heading in that direction. They already are understanding he's heading east. He's walking away from the promise of God. They can see this and understand. And it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because in the day of when they would have been first reading this, they would have known Sodom and Gomorrah as a desolate, destroyed land. And he's pointing out, this was before it was destroyed. It was a beautiful place. It was plush. It was green. It offered a lot. And that's what Lot chose. Verse 11, so Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Again, east can and often does mean a walking away from God. Thus they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. There's that word tent again saying that he was moving his heart there with it. Now, the, the land near Sodom is on the outskirts of the promised land. Uh, depending on which biblical map you're looking at and where the lines are drawn of the promised land, uh, many commentators will tell you that Many commentaries will tell you that Sodom is on the outskirts of the promised land. So not only was he not taking part of the promised land, he was stepping out of the promised land. Then in verse 13 it says, Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The first time I read through that, I blew right past it, and I just I understood. They were bad people. But that's not the common text that's written in the Old Testament about someone when you're pointing out that they are sinners it actually points out three things. Number one, they were wicked. Number two, they were great sinners. And number three, their wickedness and sinning was against the Lord. These were the men of Sodom. And you can take that text at face value, understand what's being said there. It's as if the text here is saying that they were actually a level below normal sinners. That there was something that was really bad going on there. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, you need to catch that, the Lord said to Abram. You see, Lot had moved by sight. Abram waited in faith. And then the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look. You see, Lot took his eyes and looked, and he was drawn, he was tempted, he was pulled Nowhere in there does it say that Lot said, that's a great offer. Let me fall on my knees before the Lord and see what he wants from me. It says he looked. He allowed his eyes to be the leading thing. And, and when you're hearing this account, you can tell that Abram was in a stance of faith. And maybe even like this in his spirit, he was like this. And the Lord said, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see, I will give to you and to your offspring forever. You know, in the original language, the word forever, um, in the original language, it's actually translated forever. There's no mixing of words there. That means that if anybody's in that land, it doesn't matter who's in that land, uh, whether they claim it or not, who does the land belong to? Abram and his offspring. So it doesn't matter who lives there. It's not theirs if they're not a part of the family of Abram. 
Verse 16, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre. Mamre actually means translated to feed off the fat of the land. So God is now walking him through. He's saying, go now. I've brought you to this land. Go now. Look at it. Go find out what it's about. Learn the nooks and crannies of this land. Go walk from the highest place to the lowest place, to the, to the north, to the south. Look around. And he did that, and he came to a place that was known to be plush that they called feed off the fat of the land, which is near Hebron. And then catch this last thing. And there he built an altar to the Lord. That's the difference. You say, well, maybe, maybe Lot somewhere along the way built an altar too. It's not in the text. Several things that I want us to pick up on here. This is a powerful scripture text to me, knowing how Abram came to be, how he was called, and how he went into the land. James chapter 2 verse 23 says, and the scripture was filled that says, fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, catch this next line, and he was called a friend of God. Abram was not perfect. We've already established that. His righteousness didn't come about because of how good he was. His righteousness came about because of his faith. And his righteousness and faith in God caused him to be a friend of God. That's powerful text. Brings me back to, I can't read this scripture text without thinking about Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So what does this apply to in our walk? I say it applies to everything we do. I say it applies to um, how, what neighborhood we live in. I think it applies to what job we hold down. It certainly applies to which college you attend if you're young and trying to figure out which college. You need to be establishing before the Lord, I am going to walk in the steps that you lead me to. I'm not going to look up at the plush green lands and say, ooh, I want that, without first consulting you. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith in God. And it should apply to everything we do. Whoever we are, whatever we're dealing with, we need to be starting our day and ending our day on our knees in an altar before the Lord, seeking his face so he can guide our steps. How do you walk by faith? You get around the altar of the Lord and you allow him to lead. Abram found that the promises of God were sufficient. How do, how do we know this? Well, he offered to Lot the promised land that was already given to him. And we might be thinking that, again, it's not really odd for Lot to jump at the option, right? It's, I mean, Famine, saw what was in Egypt. Abram, the patriarch, was saying, whatever you want. Do we really blame Lot to say, yeah, I'll take that right over there. That looks great. Yes, we do, based on what the culture would have been back then. 
Listen to 1 Peter 5, 5. This is something, by the way, that we don't experience very much of in 2022. But back then, particularly, you were taught to respect your elders. Look at 1 Peter 5, 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. What's that mean? That means that what should have taken place was Abram said, Hey, look, we've got strife among us. You're trying to feed your people. I'm trying to feed my people. Here's what I want to do. I want you to just pick. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. You just pick. What should have happened in this account is Lot should have said, that is a beautiful act of generosity, and I greatly appreciate it. But I'm going to step back, Abram, and I'm going to let you choose first, and then I will go where you don't go. So thank you for offering that. That's what should have taken place. But he didn't do that. He immediately said, oh, that looks great. I'll take that. And so you think to yourself, well, Lot probably wasn't a very righteous man. He, he might not have even been a believer, right? Isn't that kind of what we think when we read this account? And we would probably continue to think that if it wasn't for another scripture text found in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Listen to how many times it uses the word righteousness in here. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Lot was counted as righteous. This wasn't a spiritual attack on Lot, what he's going to be experiencing in the days to come when we study the text. You know what happened? Lot made a poor choice. It was his choice that he made because he was enticed with his eyes. The things that he saw, the things that he desired with his heart, he saw that it was as good I came across this picture that I think is kind of pointed. It's not spiritual attack. You just make bad choices. We, we need to stop giving credit where credit's not due. We need to be accountable to who we are in our walk with Christ. Sometimes when bad things happen to us, it's just simply because we made a bad choice. Now, God can flip that. He can turn that narrative around, and he can heal, and he can bring about uh, beauty out of ugly, and, and that's who God does. But we need to make sure that our choices we're accountable to. Now, last week, we talked about what is your famine? What is it that your heart is dry over? What is it that you're saying, I just can't anymore? What is it that's making you feel dry? The next question is, are you walking forward by sight or by faith? That's where this account takes us. We all experience difficulty in our lives. We, just, we experience uh, strife in our lives. Sometimes it's in our own home. Sometimes it's in our workplace. Sometimes it's in our neighborhood. Sometimes it's just out there. We all experience strife, but are we walking by sight what is kind of trying to entangle us and pull us in? Or are we walking by faith in the creator of the universe who is sovereign? 
The sovereignty of God is either in place and intact or it's not. You can't have it both ways. In fact, tonight in our equip time, we're actually talking about the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. I hope if you haven't been able to be here, you can come. If you have been, you continue. Tonight is a great topic on the sovereignty of God. He's either in control or he's not. He's either leading the things that we're experiencing or he's not. You can't have it both ways. You can't yo-yo your faith with God. Although, in today's culture, that's a lot of the way we handle it. Things are great. I'm experiencing happiness. God must be happy with me. Things are good. Things are bad. I'm experiencing strife. Things are hard. Things are difficult. I got to find a way out of this. God must not be happy with where I am. See that yo-yo effect? God loves you and me right where we are and because of that love refuses to leave us there. He wants us to grow to the next level in him, in our walk with him, by faith, not by sight. Something that I've learned over the past uh, two years is I've asked God the question many times, I, I kind of hear what you're saying, but why? Can you, can, you just, can you just give me the why? That would help me a little bit more. And you know what I've learned about myself? God's saying, I am not giving you the why. I want you to have faith in me, and I want you to be obedient. I didn't realize in my own walk how difficult that was and how stubborn <laughs> that, that I am when it comes to that. I think I probably did my parents like that. Hey, son, you need to go do such and such. Why? Well, because I told you to, and if you, I'm going to yank a knot. You know, it's just kind of like that, constantly asking why, and it plays over into our faith. Why? Why? Why are you saying that, God? And he's saying, I may never tell you. That's what I'm getting. I may never tell you the why. I want you to be obedient. Are you obedient to me, or are you not? Boy. At the end of the day, Am I walking by sight or by faith in a sovereign God that promises to never leave me nor forsake me? That promises that I have a home being built for me in heaven. He never promised my life would be easy, but he promised to hold me in the midst of everything that I'm going through. And so I wake up in the morning and I make a choice. Sometimes it makes sense, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but today I'm following you in this way, Lord, and I'm going to do these things. I don't fully understand it, and if I am taking a step in the wrong direction or if my eyes are in the wrong place and I'm looking in the wrong place, please point that out to me because I do not, I do not want to have to say later what you see ain't what you get. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for the fact that we can open your word and explore it and talk about it. 
and the prodding of your spirit can meet us right where we are. And, and then the beauty of you knowing our thoughts, our, our hurts, our pains, the beauty of you knowing us from top to bottom, knowing exactly what we're thinking about what we just heard right now, you meet us there. And the beauty is, is that you guide us, you point us in direction. And so, Father, as we've seen in the text today that even believers can make bad choices. Believers can be enticed to walk the wrong way. Believers can be called into something that you're not calling us to. So help us to examine our hearts today with the gentleness of your spirit to ask ourselves the question, are we looking in the right direction? Thank you for your grace for your mercy, for your love. Lead us now as we examine the text in relation to our hearts and our walk with you. Move on our behalf. Change us. And help us to be a testimony to the world around us that our Redeemer lives. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Pastor Jeff leads us, take time to reflect. Allow the Spirit to meet you right where you are and ask the question, are my eyes and my life aimed in the right direction? Stand and allow Him to lead you.